I was really scratching my head and fretting over this gospel, I tell you. It's all over the map. So here's how I'd like to, to invite us into this particular passage. Did I ever tell you about how our dog ruined one of my birthdays? Can't remember if I did or not. But she did. And here's how she did it. We were up in Minnesota. Dad loved to fish, and so that's what we did for vacations. Leech Lake, if you've ever heard of it. And so we didn't quite know if the dog would get sick if we took it out into the boat, or if it would want to jump into the water and we'd never see it again type thing. So we didn't let her go with us, and we, we kept her in this camper that we had. Windows were open so the dog could get plenty of air and all that. And it was my birthday, and my mom had fi fixed my favorite cake, angel food cake. And she fixed it and put it on the, the camper stove, and we were going to have it later when we came back from fishing. Guess who had it? The dog. I think it was revenge eating. I'm not sure. She just scarfed that thing down, and that was it. And apparently we didn't have $1.99 to go get another box of angel food cake, because I never did get one after that. So the dog was in the doghouse with me. So just think, though, a little bit, not about the dog now and what she did. But the beauty of an angel food cake, I mean, who would think that these simple ingredients, flour, sugar, and plenty of it, vanilla, cream of tartar, egg whites that you whip with the oxygen that helps them, you fold them into this, this batter that you create and stick it in the oven and it comes out a heavenly cake, an angel food cake. Who would think that all of those ingredients would come together in such a beautiful, tasty, and wonderful way? But they do. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, sacred scripture, like the gospel that we heard, have pearls of ingredients that we hear that seem to be kind of contradictory or they don't make sense but they, to us at first, but they can stand on their own, like some of the stuff that Jesus was talking about. But when you put them together, all of a sudden it's a recipe that makes sense, and it has a very important lesson for us. So here's how I'm putting at least some of these elements of the gospel together for a lesson for each and every one of us. Let's think about, just for a minute, that crooked steward he wasn't doing his job, or he was doing it very poorly, was neglecting what he was supposed to do. The master found out about it, and he was going to get fired. But this guy wasn't used to doing manual labor. So he wasn't really interested in getting stuck doing that once he got fired. So he called in, as you heard, the debtors to his master and reduced the debt that they owed him why? So that he would be ingratiated to these people so they might want to take care of him. They'd owe him something, so they'd take care of him. And the other thing, though, about it is, is that he was representing his master, 
And look, the master's forgiving your debt to at least a part. Isn't he wonderful? Well, yeah, he really is wonderful. So it was a win-win situation. And maybe, just maybe, he could save his job. Now, Jesus said in the, in the parable of the gospel that the master credited the, this crooked steward for being prudent and industrious and being productive with his labor. And that was a good thing. And now here comes the kicker. Here comes the kicker. If that one wasn't, here it comes. He's saying to believers like you and me, hey, why don't you be like that industrious steward? Not in far, as far as being dishonest, but why don't you be like that industrious steward in terms of how you spread my gospel to all the nations? Hey, people of the light or people of Christ, work if hard, as hard, if not harder, than the steward and other people of the secular world do at their jobs in terms of spreading the gospel. There's the real kicker. Because in some ways, Jesus is saying, you know what? You're not working hard enough at this. Now, don't think of working hard as manual labor. But you're not working hard enough so that the world doesn't win. We see right now that secular thought, secularism, and all that goes along with it is winning. Or at least it seems like it right now. In terms of how our culture's going, in terms of how even internally our church is going, at least at times. What Jesus is doing is he's focusing us back upon the gospel, upon what he has spoken, and saying, let it sink in your heart and go out there, and don't tire of telling other people about me. Now, I was thinking, well, how, how do we kind of falter then with what Jesus is saying? And it's easy to come up with some reasons. They're, they're real reasons. One is fear. We might have a natural tendency to say, what, who, me? Go, 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 go tell somebody about Jesus? How are they going to react to me? How are they going to respond to me? Are they going to reject me? Are they going to think I'm a fool? Are they going to ostracize me? Am I going to lose my house over it, etc.? And you know what? I think there's something to that fear because we've seen it where people have been rejected. People have been persecuted, even in our country, because of what they believe, that they believe in Jesus. And they have lost their livelihood. They have been ostracized at times. And so maybe in, in, in some instinctual way, we kind of see the challenge of proclaiming the gospel. And, and, and sometimes that might make us afraid to do it. Okay, I can understand that. But then Jesus comes along and says, Be not afraid, for I am with you always until the end of the age. Did he say that there wouldn't be persecution? No, he didn't. In fact, he said, blessed are you who are persecuted for the sake of my name. For the kingdom of God is yours. 
Now, I'm not saying every time that we open our mouths to proclaim the good news is that we're going to be whammed with persecution and ostracization and all bad things. I'm not saying that. But there is a risk, isn't there, for us to say that Jesus is Lord, that he's the only way, he's the only truth, he's the only life in this world to take you unto heaven itself. Yeah, there's a risk. But who's going to win? Christ has won the war, but there are a lot of battles that we're involved in. Do we want the world to win or not? You know, another thing, too, is I was thinking about is just apathy, you know? Hey, uh, yeah, I, I know my faith, my faith is fine, but it, you know, I, it just should be restricted to the way that I want it, or I shouldn't be in, invading other people's space or anything like that in terms, in terms of my faith. And, and I'm not encouraging people to, to be aggressive and ramming faith down people's throats or anything like that, not at all. But we can grow to be apathetic and just say it's somebody else's job or it's somebody else's problem, let them take care of it. Or you over there, you're holier than me, you should take care of it. Or, or this priest over here, or that person over there, or that deacon, whatever, they should take care of it. No, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. You all were baptized, right? And you were baptized into Christ Jesus, priest, prophet, and king. Prophet, speak the word as a prophet does. Speak the word from your heart as Christ has instructed you. We can't be apathetic about that. Because really, if, if we reflect upon the whole of the gospel message, it's going to make us really uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable at times. And it's going to be consoling and uplifting and directive. It's anything but milk toast and apathy. Lastly, what, what, what causes us to, to, to refrain or, or to hesitate from proclaiming the world? Well, sin, quite frankly, sin. The, sin, the sins of our church, the clergy sexual abuse scandal, for example, has lessened not the power of Christ, but the efficacy of the church to proclaim the word. And people don't want to listen because, well, look what the church has done. And also we can see in terms of our own individual sin, whatever that might be, we say, you know what, I'm, I, I, I'm a sinner and, and, and really I don't have any business talking to other people about the ways of the Lord. Well, we don't if we're being haughty and we don't recognize our sinfulness, that's for sure. But think about people like St. Augustine and St. Paul. They did a good job of sinning and persecuting, but, but they sought forgiveness. Their, their, their minds were enlightened by Christ, and they sought forgiveness. And Christ gave them that forgiveness. And it didn't empower them to be, to be bullies or awful people or to, to say, hey, I'm better than you. Or that, and far from it. When they, when they saw their sins and, and confessed their sins, they said, I'm a humble servant of the Lord. And boy, look what they did. Just two that I drew out of my head here. Look what St. Paul did. Look what St. Augustine did for the, the evangelization of the world and even how we understand and know Jesus Christ to this very day.
because of how they responded to the gospel. Sin can encumber, it really can. But we also can seek healing and forgiveness, which empowers us to tell people about it. So, you know, make, make no mistake, in, in, in the world today, there, there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on between the forces of good and evil. There's a battle going on between Christ and the, those who are against him. And we're part of that as believers. And we're called to proclaim him in good times and in bad, in season or out of season. Just think, think back couple thousand years. What would the world be like today if people didn't say anything about Christ from the moment that he ascended into heaven and that they ignored Pentecost altogether? What would our lives be like? What would the world be like? What would civilization be like, at least of what we've known it, if people remained silent and said nothing of the Lord? I don't know what kind of state we'd be in, but we'd be worse off than what we are now. Things change for the common good, for the will of God, when we proclaim his name to all the nations. Blessed are you who've been called to do so. So be like that steward, not in dishonesty, but be like that steward in his industriousness, his cleverness, his willingness to work and be in the fray, but do it for Jesus, for his church, and for the world.